December 13th. This is the One Year Bible Tour Guide Podcast. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and the producing director of New Life Fine Arts. If you are in the greater Boston area, there is a great way to introduce friends and neighbors to John Bunyan's classic spiritual allegory, The Pilgrim's Progress, by taking them to see Celestial City, New Life Fine Arts production at the Groton Dunstable Performing Arts Center. Further information can be found and tickets can be purchased by going to our website, newlifefinearts.org. Today in our one-year Bible reading tour, we arrive at the 31st book of the Old Testament, the book of Obadiah. The feud between Jacob and Esau that we read about in the book of Genesis continues throughout the generations when the descendants of these brothers become two different nations, the descendant of Jacob being the nation of Israel and the descendants of Esau being Edom. The book of Obadiah contains his prophecy against the nation of Edom, those descendants of Esau who in times of conflict chose to side with the enemies of Israel rather than giving their distant relatives any support. And in the New Testament, we'll be transported to the throne of God in the book of Revelation and get a glimpse of true worship in heaven. C.S. Lewis called joy the serious business of heaven. In Revelation chapters 4 and 5, we will see that beholding the awesomeness of the triune God will be the serious business of heaven. So let's get started by reading today's Old Testament portion, which is the complete book of Obadiah, the shortest book in the Old Testament. Obadiah and its one and only chapter. The Vision of Obadiah. Edom will be humbled. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you would have been destroyed! Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape-gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom, and understanding out of Mount Esau, and your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Edom's Violence Against Jacob Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. 
Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. The day of the Lord is near. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. The Kingdom of the Lord Those of the Negeb shall possess Mount Esau, and those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negeb. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. And this concludes our reading from the Old Testament, and it concludes our reading of the prophecy of Obadiah. As we have noted, Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament. His prophecies focus on the Edomite nation, descendants of Abraham's grandson Esau and the rival of his other grandson, Jacob. The Edomites had a history of opposing the Jews. They rejoiced over any defeat suffered by the Israelites. Centuries later, Herod the Great, an Edomite, would order the death of babies under the age of two in Bethlehem, because he was told the promised king of the Jews had been born. The Edomites lived east of the Jordan and built its capital city in the red rock formations of the mountains known as Petra. The day of Obadiah's prophecy is uncertain. Some believe it was given before the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians, and some believe it was written after the event. The cause of Edom's judgment is clear. They joined whatever enemy was opposing Israel, because they were too small to deal with Israel themselves. They were proud, arrogant, self-assured, and unsympathetic to the descendants of their ancestor Esau's brother. God would use their neighbors and former allies to turn on them and drive them out of their land, Idumea. In the first part of the prophecy, in verses 1 through 9, God promises to take away everything that Edom boasted in and depended on for security. Its capital city was safely built in the clefts of the rock. The Edomites could look upon their approaching enemies from its position high in the mountains, thinking that their position was impregnable, but God promised to bring them down in verse 4. The Lord promised that all their riches gained from their dealings with other nations on their trade route would be plundered. Their former allies would deceive them and steal their treasures in verses 5 through 7. Their wise men and mighty men would be cut off by slaughter in verses 8 and 9. Obadiah warns the Edomites that they will suffer for their long opposition to the descendants of Jacob. They are not to rejoice over Judah being taken captive in verses 12 through 14. The day of the Lord is coming, 
Edom will be destroyed and all nations will be judged. Israel will escape and possess their possessions. In verse 17, the prophecy ends with a triumphant note. The exiles of Jerusalem shall return to the land and possess all the cities they were promised, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. G. Campbell Morgan beautifully summarizes this truth. Quote, the prophets of God have always insisted upon his present and active sovereignty, but they have also declared with perfect unanimity that the day will come when that sovereignty will have its perfect victory in the subjection of all things to himself in the mind and heart and will of man. That victory is not yet. Men are in his kingdom, but not willingly. Therefore, they know nothing of the peace and joy which are his will for them. They fight against righteousness, and so fail to find peace and joy, because righteousness fights against them. When, in the final order, righteousness is in the condition of human life, peace and joy will inevitably follow. This is what we pray for when we say, Thy kingdom come. Faith is the assurance that this prayer will be answered. These final words of Obadiah's prophecy are the more remarkable, seeing that the burden of this message was that of the doom of Edom, the people who persistently opposed Israel and practiced cruelty towards her. For this sin, God would bring her down from her high and proud place and utterly despoil her, and Israel should be given possession of her rightful inheritance. Having uttered this message, the prophet rose to a greater height and saw the outworking of the divine sovereignty bringing deliverance even to Edom. Out of Zion would come one to judge the Mount of Esau, and then the kingdom shall be Yahweh's. That remains the one hope for the world, and it is the one sufficient secret of confidence in all the days of darkness and travail which lead to the victory. End quote. Next in our Bible reading tour, we are transported to heaven as we read in the New Testament, Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. The Throne in Heaven After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God, and before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind, the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. 
And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders shall fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And this concludes our New Testament reading, giving us a snapshot of heaven. Let's take a few moments to unpack what we have just read. The Apostle John looks and sees an open door in heaven and a voice saying, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. What follows is a vision of the majesty and authority of God, represented by the radiant presence sitting on the throne. An emerald rainbow encircles the throne. The rainbow had been given as a sign of God's covenantal promise, and its emerald appearance suggests mercy and rest. The twenty-four elders, most likely representing the redeemed people of God, the twelve tribes of Israel and twelve apostles, are clothed in white and have crowns on their heads. They had thrones, positions from which to share their delegated authority from the king. The power of God's glory is evident by the lightning flashes and thunderous rumblings, seven lamps burning before the throne and illuminating the one who sits on it, represent the sevenfold Spirit of God. Before the throne was what appeared to be a sea of glass, clear as crystal, separating the multitudes from God's presence. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, covered with eyes in front and in the back, with their six wings, also covered with eyes. One was like a lion, another had the face of a man, another was like an ox, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. These four living creatures never stop ascribing to the Lord his worthiness, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, and is, and is to come. The four living creatures seem to initiate the giving of glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne. The twenty-four elders fall prostrate in worship whenever this happens. They lay their crowns before the Lord and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. All creation is to give God the glory and honor due him. Have you worshipped your Creator today? I think we would do well to echo those who are citing God's worthiness and attributing to Him all glory, honor, and power. Let's move on now to our reading from the book of Psalms, Psalm 132, verses 1 through 18. The Lord has chosen Zion, a song of ascents. Psalm 132. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor all the hardships he endured, and how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the Mighty One of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed, I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the Mighty One of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jaar. Let us go to his dwelling place, let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath 
from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. And this concludes our reading from the Psalms. God's plan to bring his rule of righteousness to earth is made plain in this psalm. We see King David's determination for God to have his place, the seat of his government, in their land and in their hearts, and God's determination to bring a descendant of David's to the throne. As we see these desires fulfilled in the person of Christ, our hearts are encouraged. The Davidic covenant is repeated in this psalm. The Lord has sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back. Of the fruit of your body I will set upon your throne. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony which I will teach them, their sons also shall sit upon your throne forever. Psalm 132, verses 11 and 12. Is Christ enthroned as supreme in your affections? Are you resting in His sufficiency? Have you cried out for His mercy and been clothed with His salvation? Do you realize then that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, a holy habitation for Christ in you, your exclusive hope of glory? If so, you will want to sing aloud with joy. Now let's go to our final stop in today's Bible reading excursion. We go to the book of Proverbs, chapter 29, verses 24 and 25. The partner of a thief hates his own life. He hears the curse, but discloses nothing. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. To choose to be an accomplice to wrongdoing leads to self-destruction. If a witness to a crime does not speak up, he is assumed to be a partner in the crime and held accountable for it. A reverential awe of God that inspires trust and obedience promotes good decision-making. Those who give too much attention to pleasing men and too little attention to pleasing God will suffer the consequences of their short-sightedness. Now let's take what we have learned before the Lord in prayer. O God, yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. All creation worships you. And we, the people, redeemed by the blood of your Son, fall before you, yielding our lives in full surrender. Our prayer is that your kingdom come, and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you for your pastoral concern for the churches, Lord Jesus. Stand among us, living word, encouraging our souls and correcting us, shaping us and building us up. Father, make us strong pillars upholding your truth in the power of your life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've had a shorter excursion today as we've read the shortest book in the Old Testament, but God willing, we'll be with you tomorrow and read the entire book of Jonah. This is a book that our Lord Jesus Christ referred to as giving a prophetic sign of what he would accomplish in the cross. So we look forward to reading that tomorrow. 
If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can always write us at podcast at newlife.org. And if you would like to get a written copy of our commentary on each day's reading, you can subscribe at our website, newlife.org. So until next time, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Shalom. Shalom.